This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and a warm welcome to the show, I'm Jake Kenter. On the programme this week, we chew over the fortnight's big headlines, including ITV roughing up the BBC. We also have an interview with top telly duo Kirsty Allsop and Phil Spencer. Plus, two dramas get the preview treatment, including BBC Two's gay spook thriller London Spy. That's all coming up on Talking TV for Broadcast. At Maple Street Studios this week, uh, Lemonade Money director Faraz Osman and Robin Parker, broadcast features editor. Faraz, been a while? Yeah, it's been it's been a busy little summer for us, which is good. And we've got the UK Music Video Awards tonight, so we've got up for a couple of gongs for that. So there's lots of fingers crossed in the hope. What are you nominated for? Uh, we did Young Father's last music video on A Wing and a Prayer. So we're, we're up for, I think it's uh, Low Budget Video or something along those lines. And then uh, Best Live Performance for Wolf Alice, which we did for Vivo. For, for once in, in a long time, a lot of the Lemonade Money office are very smartly dressed in the hope that <laughs> they'll pick something up. So it's going to be good. And uh, Robin, uh, we've, David Cameron has spoken this week, hasn't he? About he Channel has, 4's future. He has. So yeah, it's, we're on the record now that uh, they are considering it as part of all these proposals. So we saw the, the leaked photo before, but now they're, they're on the record. So as you'd expect, it's being discussed. Faraz, do you think um, this is now fait accompli? I think it's ridiculous, is what I think. I think, I think that. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, I work in the media industry. I think it's. I think it's pretty obvious what the whole industry thinks of this. What's interesting about this is, I don't think it's doing the Tory government any favours either. It's, there's been a lot of times. I mean, obviously, the whole tax credit thing that's kicked off as well, um, and that's a much bigger issue that affects a lot more people. But there seems to be the thing where the Tory government are going, "Oh no, we would, we would never do that. That's not something that we're even considering." And then suddenly they get caught with their pants down. It's just like, "Oh yeah, we're considering it and we're thinking about it." And it's a bit like, "Well." You just can't trust anything that's being said. I think it's a ridiculous process, and I'll, I'll, I genuinely would be surprised if it happens, because you know I, I think that we have the best media mixed ecology in this in this country, in, you know, in the, in the world. Um, and and to kind of mess with it, it doesn't do anybody any benefit. There'll be a payday for the government, but after that, it doesn't mean much. And, right, so. and also, maybe like, the lords will step in <laughs> <laughs> again. If you come out at the start of saying we are considering every option then that's not going to do you any that that much harm. But to, like you say, to sort of to, to hide behind all this and then say, oh, yes, it's, you know, now we're discussing everything. It seems a bit... I, I personally, I think that, that Whittingdale was somebody that was interesting and he, I think he raised some interesting debates and and it was it was good to see someone engaging with, with the community, whether or not you agreed with his views. But I think that this hasn't done him any favours because you want a culture minister who, you know, looks at the media industry and, and how well it's doing and how we, we do so well internationally and, and why the reasons for that success is, exist. And it's not because we have a fully privatised TV industry. It's having um, having Channel 4 and its hits. If you look at the hits it's had, things like Gogglebox, I personally don't think that those things can exist in a, in a purely commercial sector. And yeah. and I, I think that we, we, we're not... In, I'm personally not interested in having another commercial broadcaster that has shiny floor entertainment shows on a Saturday night because it, it lessens your options as a viewer as to what you want to watch when it comes to British entertainment. And OK, I'm sure we'll be talking about it plenty more times on the podcast going forward. Um, but let's move on to some of our big issues this week, uh, including ITV's stinging attack on the distinctiveness of the BBC's television output. Uh, in a wide-ranging document handed over to MPs last week, ITV laid into BBC One's static daytime schedule and over-reliance on long-running programmes. It added that the channel has marginalised or removed content that does not maximise audience share. ITV said the BBC must have measurable obligations on distinctiveness and be punished financially if it is found wanting. It also called for a ban on the BBC importing international formats such as The Apprentice. 
What do we make of this, guys? ITV have a point? Somewhere within there, there's some there's some points, but I mean a lot it's, of the, a, lot, a lot of this does just feel like throwing the toys out out of the pram because they're having a pretty tough year, and it's so wide ranging. I mean, they criticise you know the the news at ten, they criticise uh, the Voice, they criticise daytime. It just it just feels like all the areas where where the BBC is in competition with it, it's having a having a little pop out. Shots fired. It's, I think I think Robin's absolutely right. It's there's a um, a lot in here. Some of it is valid. Some of it is is interesting. But the the kind of headline to it to me doesn't. It it, it makes it look like ITV are throwing a bit of a tantrum. Um, Self-serving. Uh, well, yeah, and I as, think I think as it's been described this week. Yeah, and I think I think when you look at ITV this year and the fact that obviously you know they had a bit of bad luck as, as the whole of England did with the Rugby World Cup and and X Factor is obviously not doing as well as I hoped it would do. Um, there, it's I. It'd be interesting to see how successful they have been at the end of the year when, when the whole review comes out of the year. And I think that when you look at what the BBC are doing, and BBC One has obviously been very successful, one channel of the year, Bake Off has been huge, yeah, Strictly continues to grow, is a, is a massive juggernaut, and Dr. Foster, Dr. Foster and, and um, Pearl Dark and all of those sort of things have been very, you know, the BBC have genuinely done very well when it comes to the portfolio stuff that they're doing. And I think it's one of those things where it's a bit like get your house in order yourself first mm. before you start criticising others. And I, I don't think, I think the international formats, you know, this has been said a number of times before. This is not, you know, this is not a new opinion. But when you look at things like The Apprentice and Dragon's Den, you know, these are things that are kind of built into the culture of of the BBC, and they are international formats that lots of audiences really enjoy. And ITV didn't get before before the BBC did. So. Yeah. yeah. So ITV's main channel is down about six percent in the rating stakes this year on, on what was a poor year last year. Uh, BBC One's pretty stable. Is this because BBC One is sort of edging towards the mainstream? That it's having a good year. I mean, BBC One is the mainstream. I mean, yeah, a lot of the mainstream but, stuff is doing is not stuff that I, ITV would do. You could, you know, I know, I know at the, our commissioning forum this week, you know, Stephen November was, was looked on with envy at Doctor Foster. I don't think that would have been the same show on ITV. Yes, there are elements of that that could have worked, but I think the way that played out, the trust in the writer felt very BBC. And now the voice, the voice is now owned by ITV, so it's all a bit of a although ITV, <laughs> ITV would like to. Uh, to have it on their airways. If reports are to be believed. Could well happen. What do and you think? And that's uh, it. I mean, with ITV's empirical ambitions, it's going to own a lot of these formats anyway. So it's... Uh, look, running running in indie, it would be nice if there was more investment in, in UK indies. And, and obviously that's that's my own business head. So yes, that in its totality, I should support this. But I think the, the problem is, is that you've got to look at it kind of around the world as well. If we get into a situation where the only buyer of merit in the UK is... ITV and Sky and the BBC kind of walk away. A lot of people do deals with the BBC and I think the, the Voice and Tapper Media have been on record about this, saying that we wanted to work with the BBC because they're the BBC and I think that that's, you know, that's not lip service. I think there is real, real value in that. Having the BBC move away from the international market means that we'll get less as, as a result of that. And and I, I would say as well that the, the BBC moving away from drama, international dramas, I genuinely think that Sky have been helped um, in, their, in their early days of things like Sky One and Sky Atlantic because the BBC built the audiences with things like Mad Men and 24 and and all of those shows that then got taken by Sky and helped them build their subscriber base. This isn't just a kind of case of the BBC takes everything and then ruins everything else otherwise. I, I, I think that, the, that Sky have been very successful in making smart acquisitions when the BBC have built audiences and, and the same thing has happened with things like The Killing. It's, you know, they, the BBC are the ones that made Scandi dramas the big thing that they are in the and, UK. And yes, and Sky wouldn't, wouldn't have May went on to done Fortitude if it hadn't been. And the, Channel 4 wouldn't have done the return. Exactly. Or the bridge. Or the tunnel. The tunnel, yeah. No, <laughs> All exactly. of them. Sky called it. Uh, just final word on this, Faraz. 
can you measure distinctiveness? No, of course not. And, and I, th- I think that this goes back to, you know, the earlier story that we we're talking about with the government trying to, you know, do commissioning by tick boxing. We all know, we all get frustrated with commissioners. We all kind of sometimes raise our eyebrows about certain commissions that have been made. You, you know, this is creativity. It's it, to go as far as it, I think it should do. This is art. And, and simply kind of trying to judge it on its on its face value is, is never going to work. And, and to be honest, ITV should know that as well. And I, they probably do. But I think that it's it's nice to have a little bit of a dust up. And it's it's good that they're you know, that they're keeping the debate alive. But I think the reality of this is I don't think many people are convinced well, by it. If it's one thing TV love, it's, it's a good old row. Well, I think uh, one, one, I mean, one aspect, you know, you, there's, there's probably some of the discussion to have is, is ITV's concern with, with the BBC investing more in drama. And again, going back to our commissioning forum, I don't think ITV is pitched enough that's beyond crime, which is their heartland, you know, the contemporary dramas. I guess for a lot of producers, the first bottle call is the BBC, and if they're investing more money in that, then from ITV's point of view, they're maybe not getting the, the same bites of the cherry as they could do otherwise. I, I can see some argument in that. Okay. Up next this week is the launch of BBC Store, the corporation's long-awaited download-to-own service. Uh, it has gone live with more than 7,000 hours of content, which can be accessed for up to 189 an episode uh, or 9.99 for a series. Uh, Marcus Arthur, the BBC Worldwide boss in charge of BBC Store, emphasised how the corporation will curate content on the service, organising shows including Luther and the League of Gentiles into collections. Uh, he hopes this will help BBC Store compete with the likes of Netflix and Amazon. Do we think the BBC's a little behind the curve with this, <laughs> given that uh, Netflix and Amazon are so established in people's minds now? Is it launching on WAP on mobile as well? It's, <laughs> uh, and look, uh, genuinely, it'll be interesting to see if you guys can demystify this for me, because I, I don't think I completely understand it. So my first question is, is this through the iPlayer? So is this like... You can access it through the iPlayer or through, or through its so website. So th- there's a standalone website called BBC right. Store where you go to but once you've paid for your content and you start watching it you can watch it via iPlayer and right. also on iPlayer you you'll be prompted to say do if you want to buy this here's the place to go so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm curious about because because I if, if this, that is something that I think the ITV sh- the ITV should be raising there's something very odd there where where the BBC are using their their huge iPlayer platform that has millions of audiences and and selling additional products for BBC worldwide off the back of it I, I think that that raises some some particular kind of advertising and, and trust questions that, that might need to be investigated. It's a slightly, it's a slightly mixed model because I think, you know, the, the, basic, the basics is DVDs and Blu-rays are a dead market. So here's another, here's another way to, to buy your downloads. But alongside that, you can click on a show that's currently on air like The Hunt and say you get a series pass for this. One, the day after it's on TV, you can buy it. You don't, you don't just get a 30-day window on iPlay, but you can yeah. also buy it straight away, which I think is... I, this is the thing. I think it's going to, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I understand this stuff and, and I'm, I'm left scratching my head slightly about this. And I, I think that there's, look, the, the, the logic behind it makes complete sense. We're, we're on the run up to Christmas. You know, we are the generation where, you know, we have bought DVDs and box sets and, you know, as part of Christmas presents for, for years and years and years. And if somebody gave me a box set this year, I don't even know I've got a DVD player to play it in anymore. So I think that the BBC, the BBC Worldwide have obviously been hit hard on that because... You know things like Doctor Who are are huge sellers. You know Top Gear is a huge seller when it comes to Christmas, and and it's not it's not the case here. Again, as running an indie, I should welcome this because it's another revenue stream for for secondary. Well, rights. it's full of indie content. Yeah, and and that's that's a great thing, but the it's full of indie content except all of the natural history stuff and Top Gear and Doctor Who, which are going to be the bigger sellers on it. But I, I think that there's a there's an interesting thing about what's going on with the license fee and the debate that's happening around there and should we be moving to subscription? Uh, I think once you start confusing consumers with 
you know, you have to pay a little bit of this, but this bit's free, but this bit's licensed. And it's, it's just going to confuse consumers a little bit more. And on top of that, I, I think it's, it's not really, I mean, we kind of made a flippant joke about it early on, but the reality is, is that when it comes to innovation, I think that this is a backward step. What I'd like to see is a way for the BBC to innovate in, in what, you know, in physical media or, you know, if, if somebody sent me an email saying, Merry Christmas, I bought you the box set of, of Doctor Who, that doesn't feel like a gift to me. You know, we need to figure out a way that we can somehow um, make that content tangible so you can gift it and that then, then does have a, a fixed price to it. Or if not, you know, are we moving towards BBC Plus where you have your licence fee, you go in via the iPlayer and then you pay an extra, you know, 20 quid a month or whatever it might be to top they up? They won't want to do that. Well, you know, absolutely no way would they want to. I mean, that's why it's launched as a, you know, pay-per-click effectively. Now, if, you're a doc- if you're a Doctor Who fan, for instance... Once you no, start I mean, introducing subscription model to the BBC then I think you're on a slippery slope I, 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 yeah. I absolutely I absolutely agree and I, I think but this is this is the issue for me the issue is is that like well if you're saying that you know Doctor Who has to be paid for by a BBC store and you pay what what, what is it 9.99 for the whole series for seven eight pounds you can get a Netflix subscription and Doctor Who as far as I'm aware is on Netflix and it's it just confuses people mm. as to why I can stream it over there but I can't stream it here but I can buy it here and and I can't see how What's this is going to buy. You know, why, why isn't the buying outside of the iPlayer period? That would seem to be the logical step. Yeah, and then, when, and then, so you think, okay, well, I've missed that. I can buy it, and then it's repeated on TV and back on iPlayer a month or two mm. later. You think, oh, well, I could have saved some money. I didn't know it was going to be repeated. That's when it gets confusing. Okay, I'm what? sure they must have thought <laughs> these things. <laughs> Did, well, I, I haven't got the understanding to perhaps bring shed some light on that, but they must have thought about things like that. I, th- I think the thing, I think the thing that is interesting, and what I would like to see, is a way of doing proper single sign-on for the BBC and for iPlayer, where it can tell you what your favourite shows are. It will tell you when new series of that is launched. It will then tell you if you've bought those things, and it kind of sits in a locker, and you can log into the BBC and see what the value is. I think that that could be quite compelling and interesting as turning the BBC into a proper content service like Netflix does, where it's making you proper recommendations. That could be quite interesting. And I think that's where they should start. And then if people start going, well, you know what, I'm a, I'm a super fan of Doctor Who. Tell me what merchandise I can get from it. Tell me what you know, extra shows I can get for it. That, I think, is quite useful. Um, but this doesn't feel like that quite yet. Okay, Robin, how much for the whole series of Bargain Hunt? The well, whole the whole shebang? Okay, yeah, <laughs> Bargain Hunt fans. £468.72. <laughs> yes, for the, so for the one you love this Christmas... But think of the money that it saved you by what you can find in your attic. Right. <laughs> wow, that's very. Good. Yeah, the the queue is already mounting outside uh, outside the door. Uh, last but not least, our commission of the fortnight, which goes to BBC One this week. Uh, the channel was commissioned a Saturday tea time adaptation of Philip Pullman's epic His Dark Materials trilogy. Drama boss Polly Hill announced the project, which is without a writer, uh, at the Broadcast Commissioning Forum this week. Uh, it will be produced by Jane Tranter and Julie Gardner's indie Bad Wolf in Wales. Robin, are you a fan of these books? Uh, I've only actually read one of them, but I, I, they're obviously you know modern. Stick with it. They're, they're brilliant. I know, I know. They are, they are modern classics. And, you know... Unfortunately for for fans, you know there was a movie made, and then there was some cold, some. some uh, it was a proper stink. There was movie. a bit of cold feet within uh, Hollywood circles. I think about some of the uh, the approaches to to religion in the in the book. So I think with this pair who brought Doctor Who back, you know, at the helm, hopefully that's a good pedigree to sort of do really do them justice. We are it's very early days. Not going to be on telly for until at least twenty eighteen. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some big special effects extravaganzas. Who knows what format they'll take, whether they'll do, you know, one per year over multiple episodes or try and do them all as one big series. And 
Who knows who'll write them? I'm sure there's a big inbox. Uh, James Tanner's inbox is probably yeah. um, bulging. As They're we trying think. to flush flush out a big writer, maybe yeah. or someone who they feel might be. But I think you know, yeah, capable of it's, adapting them. It's, yeah, there's a built-in there's a built-in audience. Uh, Sadly, you can totally see it happening, um, and I think it's quite you know, exciting series for, for for BBC. Do you think the BBC might be at risk of upsetting some you know? People who are religious and uh, and yeah, upsetting. Well, you can never car. you can never please anyone. But these books have stood the, have stood the the test of time already, haven't they? So I think they're more upset, more upsetting ITV's ambitions to do stuff at tea time that might appeal <laughs> to a slightly older older child audience. Mentioning their names. Fraz, you read these? I haven't read these. Um, um, uh, embarrassingly, and I have heard they're they're amazing. And I think it's I think as we get towards question marks around what's happening with Sherlock and you know um, how long is that going to continue for it's it's great to see that the BBC have already kind of gone well we've already got our future here with drama this this is going to be a cult classic and I think that there's going to be a lot spoken about it you can see the internet already exploding with anticipation slash trepidation and and I think it's going to be uh, I think people are, are excited about it it is the same sort of audience as Doctor Who and Sherlock and I think that there'll be exactly I, th- I think that there'll be lots of people really excited to see what this happens and and I think people were genuinely upset with the adaptation with the Golden Compass and and seeing this kind of be revived because people love these books and they're, they're nuts for them and they want to see them brought to life and I think the BBC is probably the right people to do it. And it feels like this announcement is, let's get that out there early. We've got the rights, hands off Netflix or whoever else. And Dr. Foster returning quickly. The biggest drama, new drama in years for the, for the BBC, you know, you can see why they'd be tempted to go straight for it. And the writer claims to have new ideas and she's a great character. So in many ways, it felt a bit close as one series. You could see, OK, that stood alone. But if they've got good ideas, bring them on. Did you watch it for us? I didn't know. And you know, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being exposed for like, didn't read any books, didn't watch any telly. No, I haven't. But, but again, it's, it's, it's good to see that, you know, it's always good when dramas get recommissioned because they're expensive things to do. And, and, um, and when, they're, when they're a hit, it benefits everybody. And, uh, and again, you know, more of the same, please. That was a series where you generally didn't know which way it was going to go. Initially, you felt, how will this story sustain five episodes? And then it twists and turns all sorts of different ways. So the good thing is you don't know which way Series 2 is likely to go. So I think okay. that's quite exciting. Those are your headlines for this week. Thanks to Robin and Faraz. Up next, Kirsty Allsop and Phil Spencer were in Cannes last month to promote their Channel 4 show Love It or List It. I caught up with the presenting duo and asked how the international television market compares to the housing market. Before that, though, a clip from Love It or List It. Here, Kirsty and Phil meet a pair of homeowners for an initial chat about their plans. What's the situation here? Who wants to do what? I want to stay... Um... Basically, I've established myself, made contacts and friends in the the village, and I've only moved once in my life to this house. So moving is not in my my genes. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of memories wrapped up here. Lots of memories. And Isabel? I think I've been classed as the mover because um, I, I have loved the house. It has served as well. But for me, it's just the layout that I can't entertain my own family, really. You've either got to make this house right or you've got to move. Yeah. Yes. I think people have a relationship with Phil and I from location, location, location. But this is a totally different show because we're dealing with the follow-through. People are already in their homes that we didn't find them and they've often been in their homes for 5, 10, 15 years and they've got problems that everyone's got. I think when people sit on their sofa at home watching this show, there's nobody that doesn't relate to it. You know, everyone has this issue. Shall we stay? Shall we go? It's a constant narrative for any homeowner. 
how rewarding has it been to do something in a property space that wasn't location, 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 even though that remains very strong, of course? Very, very rewarding, and new projects are always exciting. To do something that is so relevant and topical, and as Kirsty says, it is a conversation that all homeowners have, whether to stay or whether to go or whether, whether to renovate. It is a, it's a very topical scenario. Uh, having spent so many years helping them find their homes to start with, actually now it's, it's a kind of natural progression for us. I mean, obviously you guys co-own Raise the Roof. Yeah. How do you strike that balance? Because this is an international format, isn't it? Yeah. How do you strike that balance between developing your own stuff and, and looking at out, uh, what else is around? To be absolutely truthful, we don't do that much of other stuff. But Love It or List It is too good to turn down. It is a brilliant, brilliant format. And it was one that we were prepared to look at and do, and we've been thrilled to have it. It's great generating your own stuff. It's an important thing. It's one of the amazing innovations that we have in the UK that they don't have in foreign markets. But when somebody comes along with a really good idea, which is better than any idea you've had, you have to say, hands up, this idea is great, we're going to run with it. What has been fantastic about Love It or List It (laughs) is the fact that not only does every person in the UK sitting on a sofa relate to it, but everybody around the world relates to it. It doesn't matter that we're working with UK families. Their stories are relevant to everybody. So it is something which can take us around the world in a similar way to location, location, location. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You look around here and the numbers of people and the hours of time that are putting, being put into pitching ideas and developing ideas, coming up with ideas, when, actually, when you see one, a, a format that really works... You know, a light switches on, and it's certainly different. How does the TV market here in Cannes compare to the housing market? Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm at the moment putting a deal together in uh, uh, East London, which has nearly twice fallen down. And I have to say, uh, I think that people in the housing market are slightly quicker to make decisions than in the TV market. Um, if you had this much chat and this much booze in the housing market, we would just never get anywhere. It's an interesting simile. The housing market's driven by supply and demand. And when there's, when there's not much supply and lots of demand, up prices go. Here we've got not that many broadcasters and not that many commissioners, but an awful lot of production companies coming up with ideas. It is about supply and demand. Um, you've got to come up with something that's popular and in demand in order to make your money. Obviously, you run a... Nations and regions, indeed. What's that like? What challenges does that present? We don't know that television can be made outside Glasgow. We have literally no experience of that. Location Location was always a Glasgow-based production. So when we decided to set up our own indie, there was never any hesitation about being in Glasgow. I'm not the finance person. We have an amazing person, Jane Muirhead, who is our finance person. I set up the company in Glasgow because I wanted to continue working with Glasgow-based people. There's a lot of really talented people in that city and it's a great place to work. And when someone said, oh, you you get all sorts of benefits from being in Glasgow, I was like, oh, that's an added bonus. (laughs) But I genuinely didn't know a thing about it when I said, come and work with me, you can set up an office in Glasgow. Yeah, I think Glasgow's had a really exciting the last five years. Um, Creatively, there's a lot of business done up there. There's, there are the benefits to being in nations and regions, but um, we're getting some great, great people, and they'll stay with us. Has things changed since the referendum? It was a bit, it was a bit tense there. It was. A, I personally am very pleased that Scotland voted to remain part of the UK. That's a personal thing, but I think has it changed? No, I think I think the TV industry in Glasgow is is strong. Whatever happens, it, it will sail through. 
whatever the political future holds. Just a, a word on location, location, location. I mean, why do you think it's so enduring? And uh, are you planning to do more? I'll tell you a funny story. I did uh, one of um, Alan Carr's show, Chatty Man. Phil and I did it together. And the next day I said to a friend of mine, um, God, do you know what? Rita Ora knew who I was. And my friend said, oh, Kirsty, that's like you knowing the cast of Rainbow. You're just wallpaper in her life. Location, for a lot of people, location, location has always been there. It's something that they watch with their mum and dad on the sofa. It's something they watch now in their first home. They've been informed by it. They've been amused by it. They've been horrified by the prices in different parts of the country. They've felt that their house is better, worse, nicer, lighter. People have an ongoing relationship with the, with the show. And as long as they continue to be fond of the show, we will continue making it. So that's, uh, you're, you're planning more, more series, clearly. I mean, <laughs> no, no, listen, don't ever count any chickens before they're hatched. <laughs> yeah. Never assume what Jay Hunt wants to do tomorrow, never mind next week. But we are very committed to the show, and I think Channel 4 are also very committed to the show. Yeah. I would say if people keep watching it, we'll keep making it. We're just finishing a run of 10, I think that's series 18. Is it? I thought it was like series 27 or something. <laughs> <laughs> While filming it week in, week out, some people say, I'd only get bored of it. But actually, it's a diff- we're in a different place with a different couple with different issues. It is house hunting, and lots of the conversations and issues are similar. But there's always intricacies and, and kind of people have individual situations. So helping them through that is something that we both take a, a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment from. It's fun. But I think on a personal level, television is an industry that can move very slowly and very fast at the same time and you should never ever assume that you're going to be on the screens forever and so I think you have to be very very philosophical about this industry as a presenter that's why we have our own production company because we love TV and we love making it and you know whether we're on the screen or off the screen we're going to continue making it and any other projects on the ball? Phil's got an exciting project. I'm uh, about halfway through filming a, um, another series for Channel 4 called Stately Homemaking, uh, going around six of the very best stately homes in the country. Um, so it's a bit of a busman's holiday for me. I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it. And that's with Raise the Roof, is it? Uh, it's yeah. a co- co-production with Raise the Roof and Mayfly, um, looking at when they were built, who built them, how they were built, how they were designed. So it's quite architecture and um, history-led, and then moving into how the estates are run now and, and what kind of money they might be worth in, in today's today's money so it's really really interesting i'm loving it and any more homemade treats i managed <laughs> yes i managed to get three christmas shows out of channel 4 so i'm really pleased with myself so this little christmas tree pixie is revving up to go to uh, vienna bratislava and moscow filming all next week down in devon just making competitions the usual christmas fair she's on cloud nine i'm really thrilled <laughs> Uh, Kirsty and Phil there. Love It or List It returns next year on Channel 4. It is made by Raise the Roof and is based on a Canadian format sold by Beyond Distribution. Faraz Osman and Robin Parker are back with me and it's time to hit the previews trail. Our first stop this episode is at BBC Two, which is gearing up to air London Spy. Created by author Tom Rob Smith, the drama stars Ben Whishaw as Danny, a hedonistic romantic who falls for an enigmatic spy. The five-part series is made by Working Title, and in this clip, Danny tells a pal about his mysterious boyfriend. So we're on the doorstep saying goodbye. And I'm trying to give him Pavel's number because I don't have a phone. 
except he doesn't write it down. And I'm like, you don't want to, you don't want to see me again. <laughs> and then he says, numbers, Danny, I have no problem with. Like he could remember every phone number in the world. <laughs> and then we shook hands. If you'd have told me a week ago I'd be this happy with a handshake at the end of the day. I'm sorry, I'll stop talking about him now. It's all right. I understand. It's just the feeling, you know. Not being able to think about anyone else. Yeah, I know the feeling. There's as much dialogue in that first scene as there is in the sort of first half an hour of the whole the whole episode, isn't there? Yes, it's a... It's a, it, is a, it is a slow beginning, and I think... I found it tough going in at first, and I'll admit, I watched... Actually, I went up watching episode two straight after episode one. If you'd asked me at the start of it, you know, watch episode two, I'd have definitely hesitated. I found it very hard going at first. There's a very deliberate style they've gone for, which once there's a bit of rug pulling going on, you can kind of see why they've done it, but I think it's it's very kind of indie art house movie for too at least, so, for at least half an hour. It felt a little bit too much. There's very little music, very little dialogue. It's a very, it feels very stilted. I think they could have got to the meet it a bit, a bit quicker. When they do get to the meet, it's interesting stuff. And episode two goes into completely different directions again. So, And Ben Wishaw is fantastic. And Jim Broadbent, I think, is always marvellous. Um, so stick with it if you can, is what I'd say to that. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of those shows that you want to tell everybody that you love. It's like, oh my God, it's lit so beautifully and the acting is great. And like, <laughs> you know, I, I really, I, I think I really like it. I, like, but it's I think so... it likes itself. Yes. This is it. I mean, yeah. it, is, it is like, it's proper art house theatre land kind of you know uh, it's it is pretentious there's no there's no two ways about it it's so slow like it's it's almost like terrifying you kind of you have to keep checking your your skybox to make sure that all, all other boxes are available but you have to keep checking to make sure it's actually you're watching it in the right speed because it's it's like you know it, it takes forever to get to where it wants to get to there's a problem when you go for that if you're going for that slow build and you've called it london spies like we all know well, we don't know exactly where it's going, but we kind of know in some direction where it's exactly. going. So you, don't need to wait, you don't need to wait so long for that that, yeah. that reveal of the spyish element of the story. And, you know, we are, you know, when you use the word spy, you're in the world of spooks and homeland and... Even the game, you know, even the game, the recent BBC Two series, exactly. which was, you know, quite pacey. There, there, is no, there is no politics in this. There is no, you know, there's no... Your real proper espionage in it. There's there's none, there's none of that. It's about a re- relationship between two guys and... That's what you get in the first episode. What you get later on is 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 interesting, but you know, it's w- would I have watched this had you not sent it to my inbox, or would I have kept with it for the whole hour? That I think that's the question for me, and mm-hmm. and I think you need this is one of those turn the lights off, put your phone away, you know, watch it um, because it is so slow that it's easy to get distracted by by. Other and also, things. I think you know this this whole this whole thing of like Ben Wishaw's character is supposed to be this you know gregarious hedonist. He doesn't to He's not. do that much. <laughs> if that's hedonism <laughs> these days, maybe then, I should uh, take that out. He goes he go, he goes into a club and then comes out of a club. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> and then he kind of wanders around the South Bank of it. Yeah, and it's like he's he's living in Vauxhall with some with a mattress on the floor, and it's just like oh how edgy, and it's like. Really, that's the most amount of fun you've got to have. I think there's there's a shot where they're, they're watching telly and he's on his phone and it's like, that makes him a hedonist now and a young person. It's like, I mean, come on, seriously. How does he it's afford not... that place in, in Vauxhall? Well, it actually looked closer to Waterloo to me. <laughs> Maybe he's squatting because that's what hedonists do these days. <laughs> Again, it's just, it's it's a, um, uh, it's it's nice, it's lovely, it's, it's beautiful to watch, um, but it is... It, it raises more questions than it answers, particularly in the first episode, which maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what good drama should do. Yeah. But I say, at, the, at the end, I did want to watch episode two straight away, and I did, so it's oh, still something. Three. 
Yeah, episode two was good. Was okay, good. Well, there you episode go. two, there's a different pace to it. Okay, uh, London Spy gets underway on the 9th of November at 9pm on BBC Two. Uh, we're sticking with the scripted stuff for our second preview, which is ITV Encore's The Frankenstein Chronicles. Uh, Rainmark Films' six-part series combines a detective story with gothic horror to produce a unique retelling of Mary Shelley's iconic myth. Here's a moment from the first episode. Spooked by one of Frankenstein's projects, the Home Secretary confides in the local River Police Chief, played by Sean Bean. So William Chester and I are in the process of modernising our antiquated medical profession. The Anatomy Act will ensure that medicine in this country is practised only by qualified and accredited professionals. Legislation is going through Parliament as we speak. I think this abomination is the work of someone trying to put a stop to it. Oh, sir. Any one of the numberless charlatans who profit from the system as it is. Unlicensed quacks, apothecaries, witch doctors, barbers, body snatchers. One or more of them is evidently seeking to discredit our surgeons by stirring up popular feeling against them. You think it was placed there deliberately? You saw that thing. A grotesque parody of surgical procedure. I want you to undertake an inquiry in strictest confidence. Find whoever is responsible. When you do, inform me only. He wants to start us on this. There's something gothic in the water ITV, isn't there? <laughs> With this and Jekyll and Hyde. Is this as scary as Jekyll and Hyde? It, there's a couple of jump moments. You know what it reminded me of is um, is like modern video games and their and their cut sequences. There's so much hand holding in this that it's a bit like I'm going to take you down this road and you need to like concentrate on this bit. And you you kind of watch it, but it feels like it's it, there's for me it lacks. I mean, Maybe because it's Frankenstein, but it, it feels like it lacks a little bit of a soul and, and, and a bit of heart. And and there's, you know, Sean is all, always amazing at what he does, but it, it, there's just something not for me. It just didn't quite connect. And uh, and I feel like it's a you know precursor. Doesn't hang to together, something is that what you're saying? Hey. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's it's a I can't. It's simple. Is I think the easiest way I can I can. Say and and you know it it doesn't quite look as good as it could look. The script isn't quite as quite good as it could be. The acting isn't quite as good as it would be. And I think that there's a I think there's a lot of these things at the moment with things like Penny Dreadful and Jekyll and Hyde and and you know you can get you can get your fix of this sort of world in a lot of different places. And I can't see this one rising to the top, unfortunately. Yeah, let's go back to the slightly fused commissioning strategy. I mean, if you've got you know the Frankenstein story and you've got Sean Bean White and you're making a an ITV one drama rather than ITV Encore, which is presumably a bit of a low budget. Now, I know ITV want to bring people to uh, to that channel, and clearly he stars in lots of shows from the past, like Sharp, that they but they will, they will, they will show there. But um, it so feels, feels, feels a bit underpowered. For listeners that don't know, ITV Encore is a pay TV channel, only available on Sky, and uh, this will be their first original show. Mm. Um, it's hardly sophisticated. It's I not thought. sophisticated. No, it, it... <laughs> When you compare it, like you say, to to the kind of things that the, the Sky Atlantic are doing, um, it feels like it, you know it could have been on ITV any time in the last fifteen years, twenty years. Uh, and it's, it's not enough blood and guts. No, and it's, a li- and it's a little bit nastiness. Clini- it's a little bit clinical. Yeah, uh, and it's Sean Bean doing what he does. Uh, the police- Very good. Yeah. Sure. he's always watchable. And I he think. survives the end of the first episode. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did he get killed? Off? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think that there's a you know particularly it being Frankenstein. It's there's a law about Frankenstein as you know and and the zombie character, and you don't really get any of that. You, you I don't do you meet Doctor Frankenstein? I don't think you meet Doctor Frankenstein in the first episode. I don't even, I don't know if he's going to even be in. Maybe it. No, there's a suggestion right at the very end, isn't there? Right. Yeah, you're yeah. Sort of, it's, a, it's a riffing on the, on the story, trying to do something a little bit different, uh, and it, and it, the the police procedural element is sort of uh, 
being added to it. So it's, a, it's an interesting hybrid in, in that in that sense. But I don't think it doesn't it doesn't feel like in an age when you've got your sport for choice for big, often bloody period dramas, some which star Sean Bean or have starred Sean Bean. It doesn't feel like it's going to sort of stand out that much. However, you know, saying that if if it is for a pay TV channel, having Sean Bean and a word Frankenstein on a big poster, you know, is is not a bad thing, and I can I can see it being successful. From a, from a marketing point of view, and I think that you know it's a shame if it's been commissioned from from that perspective. Um, but again, I, I kind of think that there's a there's a lack of soul in this. Um, but it, it commercially, it could be very successful. And and I think that also because of the simplicity of it, it could do very well internationally as well. Yes. Um, which I think is another reason why it's been commissioned. And and you know that doesn't that doesn't excite me when it comes to you know critiquing great television but when it comes to the business of the whole thing you can see a lot of logic that's been put into this is it less than the sum of its parts I don't know what I'm saying the Frankenstein Chronicles launches on the 11th of November at 10pm on ITV Encore and we're done for another episode of Talking TV thanks to my guests Robin Parker Faraz Osman and of course Kirsty and Phil uh, we'll be back in a fortnight with more from the Broadcast Commissioning Forum. Until then, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 